Open your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of Revelation. All right, as you came in tonight, there was an extra paper to be picked up besides the prayer paper. There was another paper giving you chapter outline of Revelation. And uh, everyone is going to need one. You'll need a pen or pencil and use the hardback board, if you like, in the uh, seat back in front of you. What we're going to do tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to take a bird's eye view of the book. And um, we've already come through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we've gotten lots of goodies. Well, we need to get this bird's eye perspective now. This bird's eye perspective is going to be a big blessing to you. And I really hope that you uh, take some extra time and read through the book of Revelation especially after tonight, and use this um, outline and you'll see that it'll act as a guide and it'll kind of waltz you right through the book. I think it'll clear up a lot of confusion, mystery, answer questions. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be giving you an outline, all right? I'm not going to be uh, giving you a lot of detail. Over the next number of weeks, as we look at the different chapters, we're going to be filling in a lot of blanks. We're going to be um, dealing with a lot of things like the 666 and the Antichrist and um, the different uh, horrific judgments that will be poured upon the earth and things like that during the tribulation. But the book of Revelation deals with uh, more than just the seven-year tribulation, although that is the bulk of the book. Uh, but it does deal with more than that. And so, uh, if you're all set and ready, we will have a word of prayer, and then we will begin. Let's pray once more. Our loving Father, we thank you so much for our opportunity, our happy opportunity to study the book. And this is an amazing book. Lord, you've promised us that there's a blessing to reading and, and hearing it read. And we ask, Lord, that you would please use the book of Revelation to increase our love for you and our faith in you. We pray, Father, that you would lead and guide now as we fill in some blanks, as we walk our way through, as we get a bird's eye view of the book. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to give you kind of a uh, outline. Now, the first thing I'd like you to notice is the blue line. You see the blue line starting at around chapter 6? I'm sorry, it doesn't say that on your, your page, but you see a blue line? Yes? That's the tribulation. That blue line represents a tribulation. So you might want to turn your paper sideways and write the word tribulation or seven-year tribulation if you like there. Now, um, as I mentioned, uh, I'm not going to delve into a lot of detail because this is not the time to do detail. This is the time to get the bird's eye perspective. That's what we need. We need to get an overall view, a map as to where we're going. And so um, we're going to fill this in. I'll, I'll uh, help you here. You see, you put a number one. You see that? Can you see that all right? Okay, do you know where we're at? Number one, all right? And uh, that's chapter one. Chapter one 
we have, there's a lot of things in the chapters that I've left out here on the overhead. I've tried to put in just the major events. I've done a little summary for you. So in chapter one, we have the vision of Jesus. This tremendous vision of Jesus. We've already studied this. You have that in your notes. We see the seven churches that uh, the Lord Jesus is uh, directing the book of Revelation to. And we have the purpose of the book, the whole book of Revelation. It's there in chapter one. And let me just turn the page. There it is in verse 19, 19 and 20. Uh, That's the purpose of the book of Revelation. Now, let's move on. We come to chapter 2 and 3. Now, as we go through this outline together, I, I want you to notice that there are a number of little couplets where you get a two chapters together and two chapters together and two chapters together. And that's what we have here. Chapter 2 and 3, we have the seven letters to the seven what? Churches, right. And we uh, have studied all that. This is all old news to us here because we spent a long time studying these and we understand these things. Also in chapters two and three, Jesus talks uh, to the churches about good works and about repentance. That's in there a lot. There's only two churches that uh, he didn't say anything bad about or that he didn't have any correction to make. Now we move into chapter four and five. Now, originally, my plan was to uh, deal with chapter 4 and 5 tonight. I decided, though, that it's in our best interest to set that to one side and do this overview first. And from here on in, every Wednesday that we deal with Revelation, after this point, you'll use that paper and you'll be able to follow right along. You won't get lost. Isn't that nice? So in chapter four and five, we have this awesome, tremendous vision of heaven. John is taken up. There's a sound of a trumpet and we'll deal with that. But he's taken up to to heaven. He has this vision of God to the father, God almighty on the throne. Then there's four beasts he sees. And then there's 24 elders as well. You may be wondering who are these people and what are these things? Save your questions. Come back next week. We'll be dealing with these things as we deal with chapters 4 and 5. And then, of course, in chapters 4 and 5, we're introduced to the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Jesus. He's the Lamb. And then then we're introduced to a seven-sealed book. A seven-sealed book. Now, there are modern Bible versions that call this a scroll or a roll. And I think they're wrong. I think the King James has it right to call it a book. That idea that's similar to what we have. They had that technology back then. Don't think that, you know, modern uh, book binding only started a few hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. They had this same technology of of binding 2,000 years ago. They had it back then. And I'll give you my reasons for believing that it's an actual book next week. All right? But now, notice the blue line. The blue line starts chapter 6 and 7. 
chapter 6 and 7. And we have an overview of uh, the tribulation. Now, I'd kind of like you to turn there right now, would you please? In uh, your Bible, Revelation chapter 6. We are given this uh, general overview in these two chapters. There's a, uh, a general kind of a overview and possibly more so in chapter 6 than chapter 7. Because as the Lord Jesus opens this seven-sealed book, you'll notice these different things happening. Um, in, in verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Well, that was the first seal. I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Most conservative Bible scholars believe that is the Antichrist. And so uh, he's definitely um, going to be uh, in the world at the beginning of the tribulation. If you think that the tribulation is very near, and many of us do, then by necessity, the Antichrist is in the world today. He's in the world today, and he's up and coming rising star. And so, you'll notice verse 3, there's the second seal. Uh, you'll notice verse 5, there's the third seal. Verse 7, there's the fourth seal. And it seems as the Lord opens each of these sealed sections of the book, it's like the seven years are played out in front of us. And it goes all the way here to um, uh, verse 12, the sixth seal. Now, in your notes, uh, it's an overview of the tribulation and six of the seven seals are dealt with. It seems to me that those uh, seven, sealed, seven seals, as, as each one is, is opened, there's your seven years of tribulation. Now, whether it actually equals 365 days for each seal, that remains to be seen. There may be some little crisscross overlap. I'm not sure. But in general terms, it seems that we've got seven, seven seals, seven years of the tribulation. And as I understand it, as he opens each seal, it's like opening a new year. So anyhow, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. Also in um, chapter 7, you have the sealing of the 144,000. They are not Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, these are uh, real living human beings on earth. And they are from the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, we will look at that in the days to come. Now, we move on to the next couplet. You notice all those couplets. See that? Two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine. And eight and nine... Um, pick up now, and uh, they deal with the seventh seal. Look in chapter 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there it is right there. And so we're dealing with the seventh seal, and the seventh seal opens to us the seven trumpet judgments of God. 
So you've got seals, you've got trumpets, and you've got vials, V-I-A-L-S. And um, each, each one is progressively worse. Uh, horrible things that, that are happening on earth. Remember that the tribulation is not the devil pouring his wrath out on earth. It's God pouring his wrath out on earth. Right now, we've got the devil trying to pour out his wrath on earth. But in the tribulation time, it's God's turn. And he's the one pouring the wrath out. And so, um, in, uh, in this portion here, there are seven trumpets and six of them are given here. And what these things are, is their attention getting warnings from God. And you'll see this, that as we go through them, they're getting progressively worse and worse and worse. Sometimes people say, oh, it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> it will. And sure enough, it does. And so um, it's pretty, pretty scary, pretty awesome. Now we come to uh, something very important. And um, we come to what we call a parentheses. You'll, you'll notice in uh, your notes there, I think you've got some red parentheses there. Do you have it? Or brackets? Okay. All right. Now, here's what goes in. That's what goes in there. Chapter 10, right through to chapter 11, verse 13. And the reason we put them in brackets, it's because uh, what our Lord is doing here with John because Jesus is giving all of this to John. John's writing it all down. This is a, a parenthetical kind of uh, dialogue. It's as if we're going along step after step, you know, real time narrative. This happens, then that happens, then this happens, and that happens. Then they stop, they pause, they pull a bus over. And the tour guide now is explaining some things to us filling in some details and talking about some things that we need to know. That's what this is. And here we have, uh, in these two chapters, we have what's called the little book, the little book. And I have my thoughts as to what that could be. And also we have the two witnesses. Now the two witnesses actually begin their ministry at the beginning of the tribulation. And they minister for three and a half years. So that's another reason why this is a parenthetical um, section here. You can't take this as if it comes in chronology right after, you know, the, uh, the sixth trumpet. It doesn't work that way. This is parenthetical. And uh, this is also uh, from what I can understand of a Jewish narrative Biblical Jewish narrative, this keeps right in step with it. Where we're given some blow-by-blow, step-by-step commentary, and then stops, we pull back, we talk about some other things, and we come back in and pick up. And that's what we do here in this next little section here. And it's only just of a few verses long, from verse 14 to verse 19 of chapter 11. And here we have the uh, seventh trumpet. And uh, again, we'll, we'll get to the details when we get to them. But here, this seventh trumpet is actually re- known also as a third woe. 
Now you've ex- heard the expression, whoa, 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 or thrice woe, something like that. You've heard that. Well, there are coming three woes upon the planet in uh, the book of Revelation. I'm uh, sorry, in, in the time of the tribulation. And uh, wow, these are nasty. And things like literal woe. Uh, if you've ever seen someone who's been absolutely devastated and they're just kind of hard, is absolutely broken, destroyed, that's the idea of woe. It's not a, oh, well, oh, so sad, too bad. It's not that at all. It's absolute feeling of, of devastation. And uh, an angel flies through the earth crying, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And so that's what we have here with this seventh trumpet. And what we're talking about, what it's referring to is the final end. The final end. You know, I, I really feel sorry for people who think that this world is their home. I feel sorry for people who think that this world is their friend because it's not. And it's fast coming to an end. All around us in the news, we see things that, that just, we can't believe these things are happening in our day. And they're happening more and more and faster and faster and worse and worse. I believe that the time of, of the tribulation is at hand. Now, you've got two more brackets, right? That's what you put in it. Chapters 12, 13, 14, and the first four verses of chapter 15. These are parenthetical. Because, again, the bus has pulled over. And we are being explained certain things. Now, we don't have the, the time or it's not proper at this point to go through all of the details, but here are some of the things that are dealt with. Number one, Jesus, his birth, how he came about. Um, number two, Satan, how Satan has tried to destroy Jesus. Then we have the persecution of Israel. And then we have the appearance of the, the Antichrist again. Now, um, the Antichrist, he, um, he starts off life in the seven-year tribulation. He's a real human. And for three and a half years, he's uh, doing all of his world politics and he's got all his struggles and everything. And some people love him to death and other people hate him to death sort of thing. But at the midway point, Three and a half years, he's killed. Down he goes. Three days later, he's back. Only he's different. He's changed. He's a different man. There's fire in his eyes now. There's evil where there wasn't before. And that's the point where people are, are forced to get the, uh, the 666. It's just horrific, just scary. And it's not an option. It's forced on people. Many people will, will want it. They'll take it gladly. There'll be economic reasons for taking it. You can't buy or sell without it. But it shows allegiance to the Antichrist. 
World conditions are so bad at this point, but yet they're going to get a lot worse. And so, again, we'll get into these details later. But when we finish with this, this um, parenthetical section, then we have a few verses in chapter 15, uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And here we have the last seven vials. And these things are absolutely horrific on planet Earth. You've heard the expression, you had to be there. Have you heard that expression? There's no language, no words that can really ex- communicate to you what it was like. You had to be there. And maybe it's a good thing that God sort of tones it down a little. Because I think that the people who go through this last section here of the seven years, they're going to seek death and they won't be able to find it. They will, many will try to commit suicide and they, they won't be able to. It's, it's going to be something like we've, we've never, ever seen before as a world. We move on to chapter 16. And now in, in the last few verses of chapter 15, the seven vile judgments were introduced. But here, they're actually poured out. And just turn to chapter 16 for a moment, would you please? Now these, um, these judgments, if you look back in chapter 15, verse 6, seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues. These things are also called the plagues. And so chapter 16, verse 2, And the first went and poured out his vial upon earth, and there fell a noisome. The word, that means a harmful. That's what that word means. A harmful and grievous. That means lots of sorrow, lots of grief. A grievous sore upon men, which had the mark of the beast. It's, they're going to get smitten with some kind of sore all over them somehow. Um, In verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Well, how many people make their living off of uh, catching fish? How many people uh, make their living with ships and boats? And this is going to have worldwide repercussions. Right now, the ocean waters, they help to aerate. Um, God has designed the world and all of the nature of the world so that it, it refreshes and it uh, uh, aerates and so on. And what's going to be the result when the oceans are turned to blood? Um, look at verse 4. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And look what happened. An angel of the waters said, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now pause there. There'll be 
millions of Christians, people who become Christians in the tribulation, millions of them will be put to death. Their blood will be shed. Their necks will be cut. Their heads will be chopped. And it's done by the world. And so the, what the angel is saying that they've shed blood. And now in verse six, thou hast given them blood to drink. And that's something we don't know of a world like that. You know, the worst we know of is the snowstorms in Newfoundland. The tsunami that hit back in 2004 at Christmas. 16 years, something like that, isn't it? 15, 16 years ago. Whew, time flies. You know, these are the things that we're familiar with. We don't live in a world like this. Praise the Lord, we don't. Praise the Lord. Christians will be taken out of the world before this happens. Uh, that's why it's very important that we, we help the Lord to share the gospel, spread the gospel. Very, very important we do this. Okay, so where are we here? Chapter 16, we've got the seven vials. We've got the call to Armageddon. That's a word that uh, runs shivers up people's spine. Armageddon. Ooh, what's that all about? Well, that's, that's going to be the final confrontation. And a call for the destruction of Babylon. This is not the Babylon that's over in Iraq. This is mystery Babylon. It's something else. But there are similarities. Now we come to the last page here. And um, we have chapter 17 and 18. That's um, another one of our couplets here. So far we have how many? One, two, three, four, five. Five couplets. Um, we have in chapter 17 and 18, a description of Babylon. And there's a lot of discussion as to what is this Babylon, this mystery Babylon. And there's a lot of good ideas what it could be. And a lot of good men differ as to uh, what that could be. And I've got, you know, my thoughts on that as well. But, um, in chapter 17 and 18, whatever this mystery Babylon is, it is a world influencer in the tribulation time. Maybe, well, it must be here with us today. Maybe we just don't know what it is. But in the tribulation time, it is a world influencer, a world changer. And I think it's more than just a city. I think that it's a, a whole nation, a country or something. Um, there's one reference uh, that talks about the cities of Babylon. So again, we'll get to all that. But the point is, God judges it. And this enormous city with all kinds of money is enormous country, whatever it is, with all kinds of money in one hour. It's totally destroyed. And the smoke is ascending up. And people, you know, almost halfway around the world are aware of it. Okay? The rise of the smoke. So that, that's pretty scary. Then we get to chapter 19. Now notice the blue line. It ends here. Okay. And here we have Armageddon, the actual Armageddon. And we have Christ's return. When he comes back to earth. And all of the world has gathered their armies there. 
population of the world will have dwindled severely. It's seven and a half billion now. It'll dwindle way down to who knows, maybe one to 200 million. That's it. Say, oh, can it even live? Well, what do you think it did? <laughs> a couple thousand years ago when the whole world population was only, right? A couple hundred million. At one point, the world's population only was a couple hundred million. Doesn't that make sense? Well, it's going back to that. And the death and bloodshed is going to be unparalleled. And so at the end, there's only just this small remnant, we'll call it, of maybe one or 200 million. It may be less. It may be more. We don't know. But their armies will be gathered in Armageddon, which is a place over in Israel, ready to do battle. But that's when Jesus will come back. And all of the saved will come back with him. We'll be right there in tow, following our leader. They'll turn their guns on Jesus and he will slay them with the word of his mouth. Literally drop dead boys and they will do just that. All of them, they'll drop dead. The Lord is calling all the vultures, all of the eagles, all of the hawks, all of the the uh, meat-eating uh, birds, he's going to call them to Armageddon because they will feast on the flesh of soldiers and captains, princes and kings, of the mighty and the obscure. There will be a huge bloodbath at that time. Now we get into chapter 20. And this guy named Satan, he's bound a thousand years. Oh, happy day. This guy is not just the accuser of our brethren. He's the deceiver. He is the one who turns us against each other. Satan is the one who is, I think, behind every church split, every domestic family quarrel and dispute, you know, all of the suicides, all of the, the, the warfare we have in the world today and so on. I think the old devil's behind it. He's the only one that wins. It's like the old saying when, when uh, a married couple, you know, they want a divorce. And so she goes and gets a lawyer and he goes and gets a lawyer. And the only people who win are the lawyers. Those are the only winners in these divorce cases. Well, here is the enemy of our soul and he's bound a thousand years. But after that, he's let out. In that thousand years, lots and lots of babies will be born. They'll grow up. They will need to be saved. Some will, some won't. When Satan is finally released after a thousand years, he can see exactly who's not saved. He goes after them and gathers them. And there are so many, the Bible calls it, it's like the sand of the sea. There's so many unsaved and they compass the holy city for this one final battle. <laughs> one final battle. And uh, fire from heaven comes down and barbecues them all. They're all dead. We have then the great white throne judgment when God judges every single unsaved man, woman, or young person. All of the evidence is brought out. The books are opened. Their whole lives are played right out. 
Then another book is opened, which is the book of life. And a, a double check will be made. Is their name in there? An angel will look. No, Lord, their name is not here in the book of life. And that's the final, the final thing. And then they're taken and thrown into the lake of what? Fire. The lake of fire. And that is the final resting place for all the unsaved and for Satan and for this Antichrist and for this false prophet. So we'll be looking at that in due time. Finally, we get to chapter 21, 22, our final, our last couplet. And here we have a new heaven and a new earth. We have new Jerusalem. And we have something very important. <coughs> Excuse me. Now you remember that the book of Revelation was written essentially by Jesus. It's from Jesus to John. And who was it sent to? Someone said it. The seven churches. It was sent to the seven churches. And the, one of the last things in the whole book of Revelation is an invitation to the unsaved. They are invited to come and to be saved. The book of Revelation is so phenomenal, so fantastic. And in preparation for this um, series of Bible studies on Revelation, I've spent the last good number of months just living in Revelation. Every day, every morning, every evening, I've been just pouring over Revelation over and over and over and over. I've been studying certain chapters over and over and over. I've taken certain words and certain themes. I've followed these <clears throat> rabbits down rabbit holes and I've <clears throat> chased them all over the field. And I've made all kinds of notes. <clears throat> and so what I'm giving you here tonight is some of the fruit of that study. And I'm giving you what I believe is a, a good, solid outline of the book of Revelation. Now there's two things. If you were to study Revelation over and over and over and over and over, there are two things. You can put this on your paper somewhere, but there are two things that jump out at you. Number one, the coming of Jesus. The imminent coming of Jesus Christ. You can't help it. The Holy Spirit just keeps bringing that to your mind. The imminent coming of Jesus. You're going page by page and looking at these horrific things that will come to pass. And the Holy Spirit is saying, it could happen tomorrow. It could be here this week. It might be here next Monday. So number one, I said there was two things. Number one, the imminent coming of Jesus Christ. And number two, the second thing that jumps out at you over and over. And that's the worship of God. The worship of God. That is so important. These two overall themes or lessons, I think, are so vital for you and for me. That we worship God every day and we keep our eyes up looking for the coming of our Savior. I believe that that will have tremendous effect, overflow effect in our Christian lives. Now, the Lord Jesus may not come back for 25 more years. That's a possibility. We don't know, do we? We don't know. 
harder to predict when Jesus is coming back than it is to predict the weather. So much easier to predict the weather. But we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Hey, by the way, <coughs> how many have ever heard of Jack Van Impey? A few of us. Uh, he just died. Yeah. Just passed away. And he was the guy for 50 years now, something like that. They call him a walking Bible because he really, really memorized a lot of scripture. And he was always doing it. And he had verses just like that because he had these little three by five cards. And he'd write out Bible verses and he carried stacks of them with him. Wherever he went, he was always reviewing his verses, always doing that. Now, he had had some controversy in his life, in his ministry over the years. And there's some things he's done I don't agree with. He's predicted that the Lord Jesus would come back before now. Um, he's made several predictions that haven't come true. But I could forgive him those things. But anyhow, he, he just died. I just saw news today that he just passed away. So he's gone. And uh, now I guess maybe he's a little more uh, in, in the know as to what's, what's going to happen. Maybe, he, maybe he'll know when Jesus is coming, but he's, he can't tell us. But anyhow, the imminent coming of Jesus. It's just I thought of Jack Van Ivey because he was always that way. He's all prophecy and things like that. And uh, talking about the coming of Jesus. Well, he was absolutely right. Jesus is going to come. And if we keep our eyes on the coming of Jesus and we concentrate on worshiping the Lord, I think we're going to go a whole lot further and we're going to get a whole lot more done for the Lord than any other way I know. Well, with that in mind, we'll uh, just close in prayer and uh, continue our service. But please keep that paper with you in your Bible. Bring it with you. Bring it to heaven with you. We'll check and see how we did when, you know, we get to heaven there. But bring it with you next Wednesday so that we have our roadmap with us. Okay? Let's pray now.